It's the holiday season, y'all, but that doesn't mean it's always the time to be jolly. Some people don't get the job done, and they deserve to go. Some players don't get the job done, and they deserve to be elsewhere. There's a whole bunch of stuff to get into, and then some. And you know I'm going to touch on it. It is the Stephen A. Smith Show, after all. Holla at your boy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you at the very least three times a week over the digital airwaves of YouTube. I'm here in my brand new studio, thanks to my official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, the official studio sponsor of the Stephen A. Smith Show. By the way, just taking a moment, as always, to appreciate the love and support from our followers and subscribers. We continue to climb the charts. We've now exceeded 394,000 followers in the first seven and a half months of this show. I can't thank y'all enough, so keep the love coming, and I'm going to keep on coming. Just make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. While you're at doing that, while you're doing all of that, please don't forget to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. As usual, I'll be taking your questions and calls at the end of the show. Just feel free to call in at 888-727-5303. That's 888-SAS-5303. It is the holiday season. I don't like celebrating a firing. I want people to get paid. I want people to be able to pay their bills and be able to feed their family. But at the end of the day, when you don't get the job done, heads have to roll. It's just that simple. I'm a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan. We all know this. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been horrendous offensively. And so as a result of that, this Tuesday morning, they did finally what they should have done quite a while ago. And that's firing and battled offensive coordinator Matt Canada, who had two plus years on the job. In his tenure, the team struggled to generate points and yards with regularity, an alarming level of regularity, I might add. Here's all I want y'all to know. When you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers here, because I want to make sure I have this right, okay? Total offense, 28th. Scoring offense, 28th. Passing offense, 31st. Third down conversions, 25th. Red zone efficiency, 25th. That's horrific. That's bad. We all know this, okay? But this is the stat that I want y'all to hold on to. And when you listen to me say what I'm about to say, here's the question that I want you to ask yourself. When I open my mouth and I give you this particular statistic, do you think you would be somebody that would remain gainfully employed as an offensive coordinator in the National Football League if you had what I'm about to echo to you? The Pittsburgh Steelers are the only team without 400 yards of offense in a game since the year 2021. I'm going to repeat that because you might not have heard me. Of the 32 teams in the National Football League, of the inordinate amount of games that were played since 2021, only one team, one, could not register a single game of having 400-plus yards of offense. That is the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the most storied franchises in the history of the National Football League. But I got another for you. I got another for you. I got another for you. Did you know that the Pittsburgh Steelers rank dead last in this category. Teams in the league that have scored 30 or more points since 2021. Do you know that the Pittsburgh Steelers only did that twice? Ladies and gentlemen, it's 17 games in the season. 
We're going on three years that Matt Canada was there. Two and a half to be exact. Two full seasons plus the 10 games, 11 games this year. That's a grand total of at least 44 to 45 games. They scored over 30 points twice. So again, I don't wish the man any ill will. I hope that he lands another spot, you know, maybe as a special teams coordinator, maybe as a scout or an evaluator or whatever. But as an offensive coordinator, nah. You got to produce more than that. He didn't do it, and that is what you have. Let me transition to the next story that I wanted to get into because there was a terrific Monday night football game that took place last night in Kansas City, Missouri. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs held a Super Bowl 57 rematch on Monday night football. The Eagles came out victorious 21-17. The Eagles now have the best record in football at 9-1, but here's the deal. Let me remind y'all that as impressed as I am with the Philadelphia Eagles, as impressed as I am with Jalen Hurts, playing hurt because that knee is still gimpy. It's not right, even though he ran and scampered for a touchdown last night. Okay, look at the weapons that they have. A.J. Brown, just one reception for eight yards, but they still won the game. Devontae Smith, his sidekick, came up with two big-time catches. You didn't have your tight end, Dallas Goddard, who can ball, okay? Running the football, DeAndre Swift did his thing. We get all that, and defensively, they were certainly applying pressure to Patrick Mahomes. But here's what you need to know. If... Travis Kelsey doesn't get the ball punched out of his arm and turning the ball over in the red zone. That's at least three points for the Kansas City Chiefs. If Marquez Valdez-Scantlin doesn't drop a beautiful 51-yard bomb in his hands, okay, that's a touchdown with about a minute and 42 left. And the Eagles would have needed a touchdown in order to win the football game. Let me tell you something right now. You can slice it any way you want to. Any way you want to. The real problem is that the Eagles were a bit lucky last night, and luck comes with it. We get all of that. But the Kansas City Chiefs, here's the problem. 26 dropped passes this year. You kind of need to think about the fact whether you should have let go of Tyreek Hill after all, huh? Damn it, should you let go of Juju Smith-Schuster? He was there last year. The reality is, is that you don't have the weapons at the wideout spot. You don't have brothers that you can trust. Kadarius Toney, you can't trust him. He could play, but you don't know how if he gets because he's sporadic at best. Don't get me started with Valdez Scantlin when my man Shannon Sharp, Club Shay Shay, was educating our viewers this morning on national television, talking about how he's a body catcher. He catches the ball with his body as opposed to his hands. Well, damn, what are you, an alligator? Your job as a wide receiver is to use your hands and your arms to catch the football. 26 drop passes by Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers this season. That ain't going to win you a Super Bowl. It ain't going to even get you out of the AFC. Baltimore was probably better. Cincinnati, if Joe Burrow wasn't out, he would have been better. Miami, it's nothing to sneeze at. Buffalo can't be summarily dismissed. Neither can Jacksonville, even though they got bum-rushed by the San Francisco 49ers a couple of weeks ago. You can't summarily dismiss them. The Houston Texans with C.J. Stroud can't summarily dismiss them. Things are interesting in the AFC, no doubt. But what's of profound interest is that if Patrick Mahomes had somebody who could catch the damn ball, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And that makes me look at the Chiefs 
as an organization, not just for letting Tyreek Hill go a couple of years ago because they did win the Super Bowl last year, but by making sure you didn't offset his loss by getting quality receivers in play. DeAndre Hopkins was looking to go there or somewhere else. You look at the bevy of receivers that have been out there, somebody get them some help. It's Patrick Mahomes. You got to do something. You can't just leave him hanging like that. But that's what they do in the National Football League from time to time. Particularly when you're Patrick Mahomes and you've been in the AFC Championship game. Every season that you've been a starting quarterback, every single one of those games have been at home. You haven't even had to go on the road. You went to three Super Bowls. You captured two Super Bowl titles. So you can take stuff for granted. And that's the bigger lesson to learn here, how greatness is taken for granted. Usually you have greatness and what you want to do is supplement it to make sure you can prolong that level of greatness for as, as long as you possibly can get away with it. But that's not how people seem to think in the world of professional sports. I got greatness, let me abuse it by putting a boatload of responsibilities on their shoulders that will ultimately force them to succumb to too much weight on their shoulders. Maybe that's what Kansas City is doing to Patrick Mahomes. Maybe they made a mistake in that regard. Let's go to my last subject before I go to break, and that's involving Tom Brady. Because just yesterday, Tom Brady, the great Tom Brady, the seven-time Super Bowl champion that is Tom Brady, the now-retired Tom Brady, blessed us with his presence by coming on to this show. And while he was here, he had some very interesting, interesting things to say about the state of the National Football League. If you don't believe me, take a listen right here. I, I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. Yeah. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Why not? And Why not? I think the coaching isn't as, as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. Mm -hmm. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than what it's been. I think I look at a lot of players like Ray Lewis and Rodney Harrison and Ronnie Lott and guys that impacted the game in, in a certain way. And every hit they would have made would have been a penalty. Mm. You hear coaches complaining about their own player being tackled and not necessarily why don't they talk to their player about how to protect himself? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be regulated all the time. Offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to the defensive player to protect the offensive player. A defensive player needs to protect himself. I didn't throw the ball to certain areas because I was afraid players were going to get knocked out. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Wow. I didn't throw it to the middle when I played Ray Lewis because you knock him out of the game and I couldn't afford to lose a good player. Really appreciate the signs that Tom Brady dropped on this show just yesterday because you hear a lot of people murmuring, you know, muttering about stuff like that. But you don't hear somebody come out and articulate that message in that kind of profound fashion. Give Tom Brady a lot of credit for doing that, because obviously those comments made major, major headlines all across the country. Uh, so much so that my buddy uh, on my day job, first take on ESPN, my buddy Jeff Saturday, former head coach in Indy, Obviously, former player in the National Football League, now an analyst on ESPN. Yet again, he was on first take on ESPN this morning, reacting to that very sound. And listen to what Jeff Saturday had to say, because this is interesting as well as to why Tom Brady said what he said and what point needs to be peeled from all of that. Take a listen. Ownership almost to every owner. They want offense. They yes. understand mm. what sells tickets, right? Like, and, and I remember going to the Rams-Patriots uh, Super Bowl. And if y'all remember, like, 
Bill, uh, Bill Belichick put this, like, plan on McVay, yeah. couldn't figure out six defensive linemen. They're coming from everywhere, right, and limited, like, the, the second greatest show on turf or whatever it was for McVay and these guys. And everybody's like, oh, it's a miserable Super Bowl. They only scored, you know, 20-something points. Yeah. That was a great game for me. I'm in the stands watching. I was like, man, this is a great football game. Yeah. Let me okay. tell you something. All my kids and my wife, they're ready to go, man. Halftime, they're like, let's go do something fun. Owners understand what keeps butts in the seats, and that that's points. That's a great that's point. What they, it's absolutely a great point. Absolutely a great point by Jeff Saturday because it really comes down to the dollars and cents. These are owners that we're talking about in the National Football League. The Board of Governors, the folks that assist in making sure that the rules and regulations facilitate good business. One of the things that I mentioned repeatedly, particularly when I'm on a lecture circuit, to kids everywhere, college students everywhere, is I don't care what you're majoring in. If you ain't majoring in it, make sure you minor in business. Follow the dollars. Follow the dollars. We're talking about folks cutting all over the place, laying folks off, making cuts, folks in the job market wondering what their future entails, etc. Why is that? Because the corporations, the industries, the businesses that they work for are trying to make a buck. And sometimes you got to streamline, you got to cut costs. You got to make sure you meet, you have a budget and you project what you're going to make. And if it's not meeting those stipulations, if it's not meeting those mandates, you've got to make change. The NFL is no different. Remember when Colin Kaepernick was making noise years ago and everybody was talking about he should play, he should play, he should play. You're talking about a National Football League rife with owners who pocketed at the time per owner $246 million in change from the TV rights deal. And they were still complaining about eight to 10 million that Colin Kaepernick had cost them. So what do you think they're going to do if people are sitting there and they're saying, we're turned off by the inordinate amount of violence. We're turned off by the injuries. We're turned off by the absence of star power because everybody's on the injured list, et cetera. What the hell do you think they're going to do? They're going to implement rules and regulations to do whatever they can to ensure that the audience, the paying customer, gets what they want to see so they can ensure that their wallets are still padded at all times. At all times. It's not just about gambling. It's not just about sports betting that it's taking pace. Prize picks, fan duel, you know, DraftKings, ESPN bets, the list goes on and on. It's not just about them. It's about the paying customer and the product that they're looking at, how attractive it is to that paying customer. Does it just appeal to the dudes or does it appeal to the wives? Does it just appeal to the dudes and the wives or does it appeal to the children? That's what it's all about. And if they think they've come up with a way to make sure that the paying customer is lured in and will continue to patronize their product, their brand, they're going to implement those rules and regulations to facilitate that happening. It's all about business. I'm not telling you something you don't know. I just know that when it comes to the games, you don't think about the business nearly as much as you should. Because if you, th if you did think about it to that degree, you wouldn't be sweating the rules and regulations that have been implemented. That in some people's eyes have compromised the toughness that once existed in the game, they want people on the field. So the paying customer won't decide to take their dollars elsewhere. Whether it be in person, outside of the tailgate party, at a sports bar down the block, 
or in your home watching it on this Sunday ticket on YouTube and beyond. This is what it is. This is the real world. Get with it or find something else to watch. 888-SAS-5303. That's 888-727-5303. You are listening and watching the Stephen A. Smith Show right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. When we come back, I've got, him, got somebody i got to speak to. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest running backs in the history of the National Football League. And he's got a new documentary coming out that you won't want to miss. His name is Barry Sanders, former member of the Detroit Lions, who are now relevant in the world of the National Football League these days. He's up next with yours truly, right here on The Stephen A. Smith Show. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to The Stephen A. Smith Show. Couldn't wait to get to this interview either. It's just... Lovely to be in the company of greatness. My guest today is the one of the most electrifying running backs to ever play in the National Football League. He rushed for over 15,000 yards on his way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He now has a new documentary out titled Bye Bye Barry, premiering November 21st on Amazon. I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend himself, the incomparable Barry Sanders coming out with his docuseries today. What's going on, Big Tom? How are you, man? How's everything? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Always great talking to you. So you got your docuseries coming out today. Um, why now? You're talking about Bye Bye Barry. You're not one that talks a lot. You're not one that reveals but so much. But now you got a docuseries coming out. What inspired this? Well, for me, the, the timing was right, Stephen. You know, I, I, um, I wrote a book maybe 20 years ago, and a lot has happened since then. Um, and... You know, the good folks at uh, NFL Films and, and at Prime Video really wanted to get behind this uh, this project. And and um, for me, you know, I was OK with taking the time and effort and walking back through the stories and, and that kind of thing. And and um, and so everything just kind of lined up right and, and worked out for it to be uh, a good time to do it here and now. You know, one of the things is like I'm looking at it as a guy that's not only a host, but I executive produce and, you know, projects and things of that nature. And you go to somebody and you pitch. I'm trying to figure out what, what was the pitch to Barry Sanders? What was the pitch? They walk up to you. They come to you in your home. They meet at a restaurant. They meet in your agent's office or whatever. And they come up to you and they're like, Barry, we want you to talk about you. How did I mean, what what was the pitch like trying to convince you to do this? Well, I think they um, they just had my agent kind of twist my arm a little bit, you know. <laughs> just twist your arm. They had him twist my arm, but but eventually, you know, I I just saw the benefit of being able to kind of share my story in my own voice, um, you know, and and really highlighting a lot of those individuals like my dad and and uh, certain coaches and mm-hmm. teammates and Detroit even Detroit personalities that you'll see. Uh, in this film uh, and be able to just share my story uh, in my own way and in, in the format that I was sort of comfortable with. You know, one of the things that they, I mean, obviously Wayne Font used to coach. I, I know how you felt about him. But then there was a guy by the name of Bobby Ross. Listen, I'm not a Detroit Lions fan. And I still never forgave that man. I still never forgave that man for, for, for getting on your nerves. It, 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 it's still, I mean, this is years and years, 30 years later. I'm still disgusted by it. As you reflect 
on your time with the Detroit Lions. Why was there this desire to be quiet when so much noise was being made about he left the game, why he left the game, what were the specific reasons behind it, et cetera, et cetera. He still had so much left to give the game. And when you hear all of these people talking about you, yet you had no desire to really, really speak up and speak out and tell people what it was that led to these kind of decisions. What was the, why, why was the incentive for you to be so quiet about it at that time? I think it was, um, it's just kind of my approach, my personality. I think um, after the decision was made, Stephen, um, I felt like the work was done. Um, I never could, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to all, you know, to predict, you know, the fallout and, and uh, kind of the reaction people were going to have. Um, and I just felt like I didn't want to spend too much energy uh, out there, um, you know, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, trying to address this and address that, what have you. And so I'm, I'm fortunate that in my own time, um, I've had had a chance to really address it in that. And also that people are still interested, you know, um, you know, for many, many years, you know, wherever I go, you know, I still have fans ask me about it, you know, and so I knew that there was um, sort of a demand, you know, for certain things, uh, you know, regarding my career and what have you. You know, so uh, those are kind of some of the reasons why it, it took a long time for me to, to me to for me to address it. So what are we going to learn from Bye Bye Barry? If you had to pick something, if you had to really detail to some degree what we're going to learn from this docuseries coming out about you, what what what, what will we get from it in your estimation? I think you'll, you'll learn that, you know, my career wasn't it wasn't a given. I, w- I wasn't someone who anyone was predicting that I would end up in the position where I was. Um, and that, um, and that also I, I get a chance to just say thank you to a lot of people like dad and family members and coaches and people like that. Um, and that it was kind of a, it was kind of a bizarre way to, uh, to retire. Um, you know, we're talking about like fax machines and stuff like that. And so I'm trying to explain, I'm trying to explain to my, you know, 19 year old sons, you know, (laughs) what a fax machine is that that was like cutting edge technology back then, you know, just. Stuff, you know, just stuff like that, you know, so uh, so I, I think people will, will learn a lot. You know, one of the things, one of the fascinating stories that, that that I heard about you, is it true that, you know, you won the Heisman? I mean, you had like 30, you broke like 34 records for crying out loud. Uh, you were absolutely phenomenal at Oklahoma State. I'm just sitting there like, is it true that you didn't want to win the Heisman, that you didn't feel like you deserved to win the Heisman? Is that a true story about you? I would say that there's, it, it was true. It was I was I was very much intimidated by the process. Um, I knew that the front runners in, going into that season were um, Rodney Peden and uh, Troy Eggman, and um, and when the flood of media and and the conversations about Heisman started, I was very much uncomfortable. Um, you know, and and I was you know so yeah I was I was uh, so yeah I, I would I would say there was a time when I kind of lost my mind there for. <laughs> I lost my mind there for a minute and, right. and uh, was, was saying things like, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to win it just because I was I was very uncomfortable and, and really intimidated and really, um, you know, just having to go out of myself 
uh, too much, you know, really to, to handle all the commitments. So, so yeah, there, there's some truth to that. We're sitting here talking one of the greatest running backs in NFL history, Barry Sanders. Bye Bye Barry is the documentary coming out on Amazon Prime today. Uh, you know, as you sit back right now and you reflect on your career and then we look at the state of affairs in the National Football League, particularly with what a lot of defensive players complain about, how they're handicapped. You can't, you sit up there and you almost get penalized for breathing on somebody for crying out loud. This is what they say on the NFL level. What would Barry Sanders have done in today's NFL? I mean, (laughs) when you look at these rules, I'm not even talking about players' competition. I'm just talking about the rules and the way the game is played in this day and age. What are your thoughts about the way the game is played and the kind of impact you would have had in today's generation? Well, you know, I I think about it all the time. Um, The rules have certainly changed. Um, You know, it's definitely more of a passing-oriented game, but at the same time, I think there are some offenses that are very creative, um, you know, and and uh, and so they didn't have like, you know, RPOs um, <laughs> when I was playing. They didn't they didn't have pistol formations, right. um, stuff like that, you know. And and uh, so, you know, I would hey look, Stephen A. I love I love my chances behind the, like um, the current Lions offensive line, <laughs> you know, just to use an example. Right. You know, I love my, I like my chances. Yeah. I like my chances. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, you didn't have to take me there because I was going there because I got to tell you something right now. I made a mistake. Last week, I'm sitting there and I'm looking, I'm like, there's nothing to talk about. C.J. Stroud, offensive rookie of the year, without question, the Houston, D'Amico Ryan's without question, coach of the year. And then I said, wait a minute. Dan Campbell's doing a hell of a job in Detroit. I mean, I can't deny the culture change that this dude has instituted in the city of Detroit with this Lions franchise, for crying out loud. This is some spectacular work that he has done. He deserves all the credit in the world. How do you feel about what you've been seeing from your Detroit Lions for this season? Eight and two as we speak, by the way. Oh, you got to respect what Coach Campbell has been able to do in really instilling a certain culture, um, instilling and demanding of, of the guys um, a certain type of performance when you step on the field. I think we've seen it building um, in this direction for the last several years. Um, and um, and he has his stamp um, all over uh, and his footprints, you know, his, his fingerprints all over this team. Mm. Um, you think about um, just how, you know, you look at the roster um, and you see all the guys that are contributing, that are making plays, um, you look at at Sunday's game, you know you don't you don't often uh, have a chance to um, overcome you know three three crucial turnovers in a game in an NFL game and still win. Uh, so for them to be able to pull that game out um, to really solidify their position at the top of the division, but it all starts with Coach Campbell, you know, and Brad Holmes and, and those guys. Um, you know, we we've been able to uh, you know you look you look at the just the the complimentary football that that we've continued to be able to play um, the last drive of that game uh, where they were down <clears throat> um, to be able to drive the, you know, the way they did with more, I think they had more running plays than passing mm-hmm. plays. And mm-hmm. obviously the last play to put them up was a, was a running play. Um, you know, so just, um, you know, th- this is what Lions fans have been hoping for and expecting, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that this team is just getting started. Um, and, we, and we're certainly, you know, um, licking our chops as fans and, and expecting big things the rest of the season and even in the playoffs from this team. What, what, what took them so damn long? 
I mean, three playoff appearances <laughs> since the turn of the century. I mean, what took them so damn long? What's the problem? I mean, now that you're out of this, you're out of this abyss. What took the Detroit Lions so long to be relevant again? No, hey, look, it definitely took far too long. Um, we could spend a lot of time on, on that question. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how far you want to go back, but but. Um, well, how about you, you one know, playoff look, victory since 1957? How about that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you look. You, I mean, you look at the number of coaches we've been through, right? The number of coaching staffs and 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 number of uh, busted draft picks and things like that. Um, and uh, and so it it has taken. But hey, look. You're echoing what many Lions fans <laughs> right. are asking. You know what? What took long? You know. So, but we're we're glad we're here where we are this season. Um, we we know that this team uh, has greatness written all over it, um, and and we know they're going to go far. So we're we're um, you know we're we're trying to forget about the past to a certain degree. Right. Um, you know, and and looking ahead. And this team has has a lot of promise. Well, listen, a lot of people believe that obviously it's a quality team. You're in that upper echelon of the NFC without question. You'll probably win the NFC North division. But in the same breath, when they think about Dallas, Philadelphia, San Francisco, certainly not necessarily in that order because I ain't putting Dallas first on my worst day. The bottom line is, is that they look at the Detroit Lions and they say, OK, you can make the playoffs, but. You know what? You might win a game. Divisional playoff game is the highest of the expectations. Where are your expectations for this team? Expectations, not hope. No, I, our our roster stacks up with anyone in the NFC. I mean, you have to look at Philly, obviously, at as a team coming off a, a run going to the Super Bowl as okay. the favorite. Uh, you look at the Niners, right? Who who um you know have established themselves at the top of the NFC. But I think our roster stacks up with anyone, um, you know, and and uh, we love to, hey, we love to play in the NFC Championship game against. I, I won't mention the Cowboys, but I'll say I'll say the, the Eagles. We love to go to the Philly and play in the NFC Championship game, or or, or whatever, mm-hmm. or have have uh, the Niners come to Detroit, right, and and settle it that way, you know. But but um, ever since that, ever since that first game this year against the Chiefs. We were we, we've been saying, hey, we'd love to see them at the end of the season, and, and you know, there's only way for us to see the Chiefs again. That would be in the big game. There you go <laughs> in the big game, you know. So, so no, I have high expectations for this team. Um, you know, they've shown it all year long, and and um, you know, so I'm I'm expecting at, at least several um, playoff wins from these guys. You know, I'd like to know on a personal level what what you know. So often we ask players, you know, in terms of the advice that you can give to other players, et cetera. What I'm wondering is, based on your experience, particularly in the waning days of your career in Detroit with the Lions, when Bobby Ross was there running the show, I want to know what kind of advice you could give to management, to coaches, et cetera, particularly in this day and age, if anything at all, about relationships with players, how important that is, what are the kind of things that players may want and need in this day and age? I know that you're not them at this stage and point in your life, but I don't care what age you are as a player. If you are a football player, you know about Barry Sanders because he was just absolutely phenomenal. And when he speaks, everybody's going to listen. So you're asking me about advice I would give yes. to players? With the no, management? I'm, I'm talking about the advice you would give coaches, managements, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of when dealing with players. What advice would you give in that regard? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, I would I would say that, you know, it is um it is a partnership. 
Um, and that, uh, and that, you know, as, as much as it's important, you know, that every, everyone's job within that partnership is very important and integral to the success of the organization. Um, and that, uh, you know, the sooner you can see it, you know, from the top guy to the bottom guy that, that it is, you know, a strong partnership that, you know, it's not an accident that certain franchises have been very, very successful. Um, I, I've, uh, you know, I've played with certain um, individuals who've gone through certain teams, you know, other teams where um, where you see a difference in how the organizations are run. I take the example of, of a guy I played with who was an offensive lineman who played a year or two in, in Pittsburgh. And he talks about how the Roonies, even though he wasn't a great player and wasn't there that long, how they, you know, remember his name and he's always welcome back. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he you know, um, and how that was so different than, you know, a lot of other places where he played. You know, where they were so grateful just for, you know, the time that he spent there. Um, but but there's a, you know, there's there's a, you know, and so um, you have to um, protect your most important asset, you know, within the organization. And, and obviously that is your, your players, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, uh, I, you know, my advice would probably be, you know, somewhere along those lines. I got to before I let you get on out of here. I'm like, did I read this correctly? Did the great Joe Montana want to play with Barry Sanders? I, I, what, what, what story is this that Wayne Fonts, your former coach, told, told folks about Joe Montana wanting to play with you? What's going on here, Barry? Isn't that a great story? No, yeah, that's, that's true, man. It's true. I mean, Coach, coach said it. It's, it's funny because, you know, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Joe's last game in a Niners uniform was against the Lions on a Monday night. And Joe absolutely lit us up. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So he absolutely lit us up. Um, and so, um, and so, yeah, Co- coach, coach told me that, you know, a few years later, obviously, and, and um, he was retailing it here recently. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Co- coach Fonts stands by his word, man. I would have, I would have loved to have, have played with Joe. Um, you know, obviously he's a phenomenal player, um, you know, and, and I, I certainly feel like I missed out on something by uh, not having that happen. Well, we love the Rodney piece of the world of people like that, but, I mean, there's only one Joe Montana. <laughs> Joe Montana with Joe with Barry Sanders. That would have been something special. Can you imagine? Wow. wow. I absolutely, it would have certainly, absolutely right. been something special. I, you know. And Last question to you, because I know how humble you are. I mean, now, now that you're retired and, you know, it's over and you're just living your best life and, you know, aging well and all of that good stuff, are, are, are you finally willing to admit that you, you may very well be the greatest running back in the history of the National Football League? Oh, uh, well, I mean, hey, look, I won't I know you're coming from a very informed opinion, so I won't argue with you. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly glad I'm in that conversation. Right. I've been watching running backs all my life, Stephen A. And um, and, you know, so many of them have, have had an impact on me. Uh, in the way I ran the ball and the way I carried myself. Right. Um, but certainly, but certainly, um, you know, I, I feel like I borrowed a lot from, you know, even, even a guy like a, a, a Gail Sayers yeah. who was before it, before his time, who yeah. was one of those shifty guys. And there's a long list of other running backs that I could name. So, but I, I, I do appreciate those words. Um, and uh, I know that, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I never, I never argue with Stephen A's lists. Of a uh, great player. <laughs> you might be the only one. I mean, I got other stuff. And the list is trash every week, you know, but we, we'll go with that. 
I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much, man. Barry Sanders, the one and only Barry Sanders. Today, it debuts on Amazon. Bye Bye Barry, the documentary on Barry Sanders. Appreciate you being on the show, my man. Thank you so much. All the best to you. You know you're welcome back anytime, my man. You take care of yourself, all right? Hey, thanks a lot, Stephen. I appreciate it. Take care of yourself. My pleasure. The one and only Barry Sanders right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. And thanks again to the great Barry Sanders for blessing us with his presence being on the show today. Let me transition to some additional news that I wanted to touch on. Last week, the one and only Snoop Dogg had social media buzz when he announced that, quote, after much consideration and my conversations with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. Guess what? I lost it. I got worried. This is my brother. I was very, very worried. Snoop, Snoop, not puff, puffing the passer no more. I almost lost my damn mind. I almost went on the airwaves and said, please stay on the weed, okay? That's how worried I was because that's not the Snoop that I know and love and have known for decades. That's just not that dude. But it appears that Snoop even duped his own brother, me. I ain't mad at him. I ain't mad at him. But it appears he duped us all. Look at this video. This heat is hella hot. I'm Snoop Dogg. Solo stole Fix 5. They took out the smoke. Matter of fact, you should go get you one. Get you two. I'm Snoop Dogg. Go to solostove.com. Tell them Big Snoop Dogg sent you. What am I going to say about that? The man is brilliant. He's a brilliant marketer. He got the world ablaze. No pun intended, where we're talking about him and saying, what the hell is going on? Snoop, Snoop, Snoop. Millions upon millions upon millions of people. Snoop not going to do some weed. Snoop not going to give new meaning to a green room. Snoop not going to puff, puff and pass. What the hell is going on here? And then come to find out, Solo Stove is what the brother is marketing. That's why Snoop is worth nine figures. And 99.99% of the population is wishing that they were him. We don't, who needs to go to a marketing class? Just go to Snoop's class. He'll teach you how to market. Let's move on. Next up, check this story out, y'all. A man from the state of Maine who won $1.35 billion from the Mega Millions jackpot Get this, is now suing the mother of his child for violating a non-disclosure agreement, for informing his parents he won the windfall. So let me get this straight, y'all. The brother won a $1.35 billion jackpot of money, and he's suing her for violating a non-disclosure agreement because she told his parents. You know what the first thought that came to my mind? There's always problems in family. You know something's bad in that household. When that man, who ain't married to the woman, she's the mother of his child, he's not with her, he's not married to her, but she opened her mouth and talked about the money to his parents. So this brother is suing because he didn't want his parents to know he hit the jackpot. My brother, it's $1.35 billion. I mean, damn. 
I'm sure that no matter what amount of money the parents wanted, you could still afford to give it and still hold on to a bunch of it if you made $1.35 I understand it's probably 50% of that's gone. And then you could get another Lord knows how much in taxes. Let's just say as a safe bet, you're going to walk away with five to six hundred million dollars. If you're walking away with five to six hundred million dollars and still you want to sue the mother of your child because she opened her mouth to your parents. Whatever happening, whatever happened to honoring thy mother and thy father, loving thy mother and thy father. I mean, damn, you don't want them to even know you got money? You really, really, really dislike your parents. That's the only explanation I could come up with because I can't understand for the life of me why you tripping that hard where you willing to take the mother of your child to court just for talking to your parents about how much money you made. I mean, family ain't what we thought it was, is it? That's the only thing that I can roll up on. The only thing that I can roll up on. Let me get to some tweets before I get to the calls to close out the show because I like to take some tweets and I don't ask people about a whole bunch of stuff. I don't like to see the messages before I get them. I don't like to hear the calls before I get them. But you know what? I got some people that's tweeting me out. So let's, let's check it out. At Highlight SZN writes, start, bench, cut. Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Jamal Murray. First of all, take that word cut. Nobody's getting cut from that list. I don't give a damn what you say. This is Stephen A. Smith show. I don't have to cut anybody. I'm not doing that. I would tell you that Jamal Murray is going to be a starter because he's a champion and a sniper, and we know how special he is. His pedigree has been proven. Tyrese Maxey is coming on strong. He's been hellified. Halliburton is a bigger guard doing special things. I would say to you, I would start Halliburton. I'm sorry, I would start Jamal Murray. I'd have both Halliburton and Maxie coming off the bench, but I'd have Halliburton starting before Maxie, but not for the reasons you would think. I think Maxie is the kind of energizer buddy that could come off the bench and still do the things that you see him do. Halliburton is more smooth with his game, and I don't think that he would be that spark plug off the bench that Maxie would, so I think it would be a better decision for Maxie to start ahead of him and for him to come off the I'm sorry, Halliburton to start ahead of Maxie and Maxie to come off the bench. Not because he's better, but I just think it would work better for the team. But neither of them are starting over Jamal Murray, who, by the way, is not a point guard. He might play a little bit of it for Denver, but he's really, really a shooting guard. Let's get to the next tweet, please. Let me see what else you got here. At Andy Licious, Andy Licious 96. That's just, uh, look, bro, I don't like the word licious when I'm talking about a man, okay? I'm not knocking anybody who does like it. But when you reach out to the Stephen A. Smith show, we're not, talk, we're not calling men licious anything. It's the last time anybody going to get away with that, all right? I don't play that shit. I'm just letting you know. 96. Who do you have high in your all-time rankings, Dame or Kyrie? I got Dame as a better teammate and a better closer, but I can't dismiss the fact that Kyrie is a champion who closed to win the championship, hitting that three-pointer over Steph Curry to seal the deal. By the way, average 27 a game during that NBA Finals. Kyrie is all-world, and he's definitely flashier. Dame 
is an assassin but hasn't been in that particular situation. So I can't give Dame the edge over Kyrie in terms of resume. But what I can do is give Dame heads up over Kyrie as a teammate because obviously some of the problems that have existed with organizations that Kyrie has been in, that has not been the case with Damian Lillard. Let's go to the next tweet. What else you got? At BKCarlo17 writes, has Stephen A. Smith ever been heartbroken? And what did you do? Yeah, I was heartbroken. I had this girl. I ain't going to say her name. She know who the hell she is. Times have changed. But once upon a time, my heart was broken. I broke up with a girl. And then she convinced me that we could get back together. There was this beautiful, beautiful girl that I was really interested in, but it was going to be tough to get with her. Her name was Felicia. And the girl that I had broken up with came back and tried to get with me. I was talking to Felicia, but nothing had happened. Next thing I know, the ex comes in, is crying, begging me to get back with her, and then grabs me and tongues me down. This is decades ago. When she did that, I stopped kissing her, and I turned around, and Felicia was standing there. And even though I had done, done nothing with Felicia, not even kissed her, I felt two inches tall. Felicia had tears welling in her eyes. She just turned around and walked away and never spoke to me again. That was one form of heartbreak because I really wanted her. But I got back with the ex. And I got back with the ex and I was with her for two months. And then I took her to the high school prom. She dumped me the next day. Come to find out, she had brought me back into her life for the sole express purpose of wanting me to treat her to the prom before she dumped me. I worked at Barnes and Noble's bookstore in New York City making $4.35 an hour. I saved up over $1,000 to rent a limo and take her out that night. Do you know how much work it takes to raise $1,000 while making $4.35 an hour. But that's what I did. And I got dumped the next day, the day after the prom. And my man Pooley, who all of y'all heard, I told you he want them big women that look like Rasputia. Remember I told y'all that? Remember I told y'all that? That same Pooley knew that I was sad and I stayed in the house because I was so embarrassed and so humiliated and so heartbroken. Pooley came skipping up across the street like nothing, nobody's business when he saw me taking out the garbage. And he was like, what's up? And he walked up to me and I said, what's up, Pooley? And I thought I was going to give him a pound and a hug. And he said, bow, slapped the living shit out of me. Don't you ever let no girl get you like that. The hell is wrong with your soft ass self? What's wrong with you? This is decades ago, and I've never, ever, ever forgotten it. Everybody that knows me says that experience 
drastically altered my life because they say that ever since then, I've been hardcore as hell. I know how to love. I was raised by five women. I damn sure know how to treat a woman. But whatever this broken heart symbolizes, let me tell you what it never, ever, ever would symbolize for me. The end. I'm going to always be able to move on because I will never feel that level of embarrassment and diminishing emotions ever in life again. The only thing that could do that to me is death. That is who I am. I'm not bragging about it. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just being real with you. Deion Sanders said it best during this Hall of Fame speech. I got love for people who got love for me. I will say it to you another way. I'm the easiest man on the planet for a woman to get rid of. You even look at me like you don't want me. I can do without you. I'll find somebody else. That has always been me. My mother doesn't like, didn't like that about me, God rest her soul. My four older sisters didn't like that, don't like that about me. My nieces don't like that about me. And as my daughters get older, they don't like that about me. But it's me. You love me, I love you back. You don't love me, that is how I roll. One more tweet we got here. Do we have any more tweets? Yes, we do. At FakeBappy10. What is the best sport to watch while you're having intercourse? I have no idea because I don't watch sports while I'm having intercourse. If you're doing it, you're not excited with the woman or whoever else you're with. That's a personal problem you're not going to bring to the Stephen A. Smith show. I wish you a better sex life. Sincerely. Last question. Anything else? At sports, R-H-A-R-D. Sports are hard. How do you feel about people who microwave fish at work? Well, if you fool cold, microwave it. It's just how long you microwave it that's the problem. You shouldn't use the microwave like it's an oven. You do it to heat it up. First of all, with fish and all of that other stuff, it shouldn't take more than 30 to 45 seconds. If you're doing more than that, you're cooking, as far as I'm concerned. And that's problematic, okay? Probably don't know how to cook, which is why you talked about a question like that with the microwave. Again, my condolences to you. Let me get to some calls before I get on out of here for the show today because I like to take my calls. 888-SAS-5303, that's 888-727-5303. Let's go to Damon in Iowa. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, Damon? How are you? And what up, Stephen A? Talk to me. What's up? All right, so I got a question for you. Well, I, hold on. I would assume you had a damn question, didn't you, call? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, come yeah. on, man. Let's go. All right. All right. You think Caleb Williams is a fraud no, I don't. Um, he can ball. We all know he can ball. They've lost five of their last six games at USC. I get that. And there's a lot of reasons to malign Caleb Williams. But his skills are undeniable. Make no mistake about that. I do. I will say this. 
The pedigree of USC quarterbacks is something to bring into question. Matt Leinert didn't pan out, even though I think he's a great announcer, and I wish him all all the best with the work that he's doing on Fox. Uh, Mark Sanchez, obviously Sam, uh, you know, uh, Sam uh, Sam Donald. Uh, those USC quarterbacks haven't panned out too well. The last quarterback that's really panned out and had a good career in the National Football League that departed from USC was Carson Palmer. So for me, I would tell you there's reasons for there's cause for pause, there's reason for trepidation, but in the end. I'm going to tell you that I would say, yo, this is what I would do. I would just leave it alone and be like, give Caleb Williams a chance because the athleticism, the arm, the body type, et cetera, he seems to have all the pieces to really, really pull this off. Appreciate you, man. Danny in Wisconsin, you're live with Stephen A. What's up, Danny? Talk to me. Stephen A. Smith, uh, when you think about the GOAT of sports, you think about Mike with six, Brady with seven rings, but where do you rank a guy like Lightning McQueen with seven Piston Cups? Hmm. I would tell you he wouldn't be the GOAT. How are you going to be the GOAT? Because you're talking about the movie Cars, right? You're talking about the movie Cars, right? I mean, when you talk yes, about Stripper King Weathers and, and Lightning McQueen, they're both tied with seven Piston Cups. Strip Weathers, you forgot about him? How can you be oh, the GOAT? You got somebody that's tied with that. you? You got somebody that's tied with you? Sorry, that ain't gonna work. Well, I know you tried to catch me with that. You didn't think I knew that about that. You didn't think I knew no, about cars, hey, did you? When you think about, okay. when you think about slept on a brother. You slept on a brother. Cups. He's got 28 circuits. He got 28 circuits under his Strip belt too. Strip Weathers has seven piston cups. I am not about to sit here and argue with a grown ass man about the movie cars. Oh come on now, Strip Steven. Weathers has seven piston cups. You should yeah, have brought me somebody that didn't have as many piston cups. Old engine cars. Yo man, talk about guy Lady McQueen. That's like. That's like comparing him to Jerry Danny, West era. You Danny, can't, you can't. Danny, how old are you? I'm 21, Stephen. You're 21. Okay, well, you're still a young man. You're, you're a young man. Uh, what about Fast and Furious? You watch that movie? Yeah, Fast and Furious. Good uh, uh, did you like, which one did you like better, 5, 6, or 7? I mean, 8, 9, and 10 are good, uh -huh. too. But which one did you like better, 5, 6, or 7? Because I like 5 to 7. 5. You like five? five? That, was yeah. with, that was with Vin Diesel and, and The Rock going at it when The Rock was trying to hunt him down and all of that other stuff. What I'm saying to you is I think you picked the right one because I liked five a lot. I really, really did. My point is if you're going to argue with me about something, how about it not be an animated movie like Cars? How about it be something like Fast and Furious? I would have appreciated the Stephen question a, better. Cars is as real to little kids as much you're as You're not a little kid. You're 21. You would, you would have a point if you were seven years old calling me. You're 21 years old. What are you doing, wearing a diaper? <laughs> Goodbye, man. Nick, you're live with Stephen A. Nick from Michigan. What's up? How you doing, Stephen A.? Talk to me, man. My question of the day is, is Jared Goff a top-tier quarterback in the National Football League? He's playing like one. He's playing like one. I think when you look at the Detroit Lions right now, they got the second best record in the NFC. They're the number two seed right now. You can't deny what you've seen him do. Even though he didn't have the greatest game last week against Chicago, still came back and won that game after, uh, you know, Justin Fields was sitting on, standing on the sidelines, dancing and all of this stuff like they had the game won. That was a foolish move on his part. But Dave Campbell has done a tremendous job with them. Hutchinson is no joke on the defensive side of the ball. They are not the team that they once were. The culture has been changed. Jared Goff deserves a lot of credit. 
credit for what we're seeing him do. Um, so I would tell you he's playing like one now. But if you want to get that stature as consider, being considered one of the great quarterbacks, I need you to do that over a sustained period of time. I need you to show some degree of longevity and consistency rather than being a one-hit wonder. That's what I would say to you. Now, since week 9 or 10 of last week, he's been playing lights out for the most part. But the second I believed in him, I had a lot of faith in him. I had him in a, as an MVP candidate, if you remember. And then they went to Baltimore and got their ass kicked. And so that, yeah. that ticked me off. You know, when you get when you when you called upon to show up and you don't do that. So that was it with me. But I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for the call. Call back anytime. John in uh, uh, Michigan. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, John? How are you? What's up, man? I'm good. How are you? Stephen I'm good, a? man. Thank you for calling. What's up? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned our first take on Monday with the Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp that uh, Brock Purdy just has all the time in the world to sit back in the pocket. I said that last game. I said that last What's game. That? that was last you game. You said that for last game. Yes. Man, in reality, he's had he's had not just last game, but throughout the season, the metrics seem to show that he has a bottom ten O line as it pertains to pass blocking. So, so the simple question I have for you is, well, why are you hating on our guy Brock? Well, man? I'm not. Well, first why of all, time out, time, first of all, stop with the hating. That's a weak ass question. And we have to stop this because the second somebody agree, disagrees with something they're hating, we can have a discussion without bringing up the word hate. I'm not hating on him. I got the San Francisco 49ers winning the Super Bowl, bro. If Trent Williams is healthy, as Debo Samuels is healthy, as I, if Iuke and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey are healthy, with Kyle Shanahan still calling the plays, and they have a quarterback as opposed to losing four quarterbacks in one season like they did last year, I got the San Francisco 49ers winning it all. So I don't want to hear about the hating. What I'm saying right. about Brock Purdy is that when they were gone, they were going through that three-game losing streak. When he was out there without Debo and without Trent Williams, he resembled a shell of himself. And if everything has to be ideal in order for him to perform, then that, that brings up the subject of greatness. We know that Brock Purdy can ball. We saw him in college. We see him as, you know, Mr. Irrelevant being the last dude in the NFL draft. We get all of that. We saw what he did in replacement of a Trey Lance and a Jimmy Garoppolo. There's no doubt about that. But the end, yeah. at the end yeah. of the day, he still has to show up when it really, really counts and show us that in, in situations that are not ideal, we can rely on seeing him be the same person that he was. Perfect example is last night when we watched Patrick Mahomes throwing that football. Okay. We know Kansas yeah. City lost the game, right? But we saw Valdez Scantlin drop that pass. There's not a soul alive that, brain, that blames Patrick Mahomes for what happened. We know who the fault was. I'm yep. saying Brock yep. Purdy has to make sure that when situations are not ideal, at the very least, we don't get to look at him and say, he couldn't do this or he couldn't do that. That's all I'm saying. Okay. He has to show okay. that. Hey, now, now, you mentioned Jared Goff just a minute ago with the top-tier quarterback. Where you put I, Brock Purdy uh, on that on, list hold with on. Jared Goff? Hold on. I did not say he was a top-tier quarterback. The caller asked me, was he? And I said, this season he has been, but I'm not giving you that status unless you show me you can do it with a degree of consistency. So if you heard that part of the discussion, how come you didn't add the other part? You're trying to be slick here. Don't try to catch me. This is Stephen A, baby. Talk to Stephen A. Uh, hey, you know what I'm I know what the you, hell man. I say. Appreciate you. Okay? Thank right. you. Have a nice day. Let's go to you Rob too. in Pennsylvania. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, Rob? Talk to me. Stephen A, thanks for taking my call. My you pleasure. talked about family turmoil. I'm going to Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, this summer, he didn't get his contract extension like everyone thought he was supposed to. Today, he said, I take responsibility. It was me. I fired Matt Canada. Jerry Dulac, he comes out in an article, says, no, it was Rooney. 
Is there turmoil between the Roonies and Mike Tomlin? No, there's no turmoil. I mean, Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season in his 16 years in Pittsburgh. Um, the reality is, is that Mike Tomlin made a mistake because he held on to Matt Canada entirely too long. Matt Canada hasn't gotten a job done since he arrived. And a lot of times they were leaning on Big Ben Roethlisberger because they knew he was a statue in his last days in Pittsburgh. He was immobile, couldn't move, couldn't evade the pocket, couldn't evade path on oncoming pass rushes, all of that other stuff. But you had to deal with him because he was a future Hall of Famer. And you had to show him the deference and respect that he deserved. And so as a result, they had to deal with that. But what we didn't pay enough attention to is the fact that Matt Canada is not innovative. Uh, he's not that innovative or creative as a play caller. A matter of fact, he was pretty transparent and predictable, which Nazi Harris alluded to just the other day, which George Pickens alluded to when he was caused an acrimony because he wasn't satisfied with the amount of targets he was receiving. We understand that there's still a, the, the, the jury is still out on Kenny Pickett, but in the end, we all knew from last year that Matt Canada wasn't the answer. And for Matt, Mike Tomlin to be hesitant in making that move, that is the indictment against him. I believe Mike Tomlin when he says he made the move because I think that it got to a point where the players were looking at him with a raised eyebrow to know him is to love him and to have profound respect for him. But it's also, he's, Mike Tomlin was famous about saying the standard is the standard. But he violated that by not addressing Matt Canada in that regard and keeping him on entirely too long based out of loyalty. So maybe Rooney had to step in for all I know. But in the end, he probably made the job for Mike Tomlin easier because Mike Tomlin knew this was a decision that had to be made. It's just that it was a decision he was reluctant to make because that was a guy he elevated. But I don't, I, I don't understand that. If you are quick to cut players or let go of players or demote players who are not performing. Why doesn't the same apply to coaches? That's been always my thing, Rob. That's always been my thing. And it's going to stay my thing. All right? Do you think, do you think Leftwich is our next uh, OC? Um, it's a possibility. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not, but I think he should be given consideration. He didn't do a bad job in Tampa. They did win a Super Bowl with him as their offensive coordinator. Why not give him an I opportunity? Agree. Why not? And by the way, hold on for Eric Bieniemy because he might not be long for the Washington job because Magic Johnson is going to compel Josh Harris to make changes with the Washington Commanders. You don't don't expect Ron Rivera to be there next year, and I'm not sure Eric Bieniemy is going to be there either. And if both of them are gone, if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, Eric Bieniemy is somebody that I'd want in Pittsburgh because I just need. But I also it, it may determine whether or not I need a quarterback. I'm not sold on Kenny Pickett, but we were raving about Kenny Pickett last year near the tail end of the mm -hmm. season. So what happened to him this year? It had to have been Matt Canada. And that's where I'm coming from yep. with it. Appreciate the call, my man. Thank you so Thank much. You. I got to get on out of here for the day. Um, I've enjoyed talking with y'all this day. I hope y'all enjoyed the show as well. Thanks again to the great Barry Sanders for blessing us with his presence on the show. Hope you enjoy it. You enjoyed it. And I'll be back tomorrow. Remember, tomorrow, Cameron and Mace, they going to be in the house. So stick around. Don't miss that. You're listening and watching. The Stephen A. Smith Show right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.